Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is July the 28th, and our chapter for today is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. Well, as I have stated before, there are four Gospels, and there is a reason for four Gospels, and Matthew is designated to introduce the King, King Jesus, the King of the Jews, and the King of the universe. And when we read the Gospel of Matthew, we read about the King, the Kingdom, And it's mentioned over and over again. When you come to chapter 13, you have the parables of the kingdom. In this one chapter, we really get to understand what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is all about. And by the way, in the coming podcast, we will answer the question, are the two the same, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven? Are they different? Are they different in emphasis? Are they different in time? All of those things we will answer, God willing, in the days ahead. But I want us to look at the parables of the kingdom in chapter 13. Now, first of all, we need to define what is a parable because there's a lot of misunderstanding about that. The word parable is a Greek word. It's not an English word. When you say the word parable, you're speaking Greek. It is a compound word in Koine Greek, para, which means beside, usually translate beside or beside of. Then there is the word bole, which comes from the root word balo, which means to throw, as in to cast, like casting a spear or casting seed. And so parabole means casting alongside. Well, a parable has been described, a parabole, as an earthly story. Cast alongside of that earthly story is a heavenly meaning. That's a pretty good, simple definition, but it's much more than that. It is a way of teaching, and it expresses what could be a real story. It could be a truthful story, or it could be fiction. But the design is to teach a truth. You take something earthly, and you cast alongside of that earthly story a heavenly meaning. And the best way to teach sometimes is by doing. The best way to explain something is by giving an example. So let's look at chapter 13 and just begin to go through it. And I'll show you what a parable is all about. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. This is the Sea of Galilee. Remember, the word sea is the Hebrew word yam. Yam, Y-A-M, can mean a salt sea like the Mediterranean uh, or an ocean. It could mean a lake like uh, the Sea of Galilee is a freshwater lake. There is not a salt. It's a freshwater. It's a, a lake in every sense of the word. So when you come to this concept of yam, he sat down by the sea, by the 
this beautiful lake, and great multitudes were gathered together to him. And why wouldn't there be when the Son of God is walking on the earth? Great teacher, the greatest teacher who ever lived. And so he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Now, this is very good. And remember, well, I'm trying to paint a picture for you, for those of you who have not been there. For those of you who have, this is, is very obvious. The entire Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. So if he went out on a boat because the multitudes were great, they would be sitting on the shoreline, and the shoreline is rarely flat. It might be for just a little bit, but they would be up above the lake because it just almost immediately anywhere in this region just starts from the lake and you have to walk up. The moment you take the first step, you're walking up a hill. So it forms a natural theater. The water would be almost like a floor that would bounce the sound off so that Jesus could sit in a boat and talk in his normal language without shouting, without talking loud, without having a high volume. And his words could be heard a long way off the lake because it is the terrain that makes it like a theater and Jesus is out there and that water amplifies his voice. That's why you can be on the Sea of Galilee today You can be on the shore and you can hear the uh, fishermen out talking. You can't always understand what they're saying, but they can be a hundred yards away from you. And if it's quiet in the morning, you can hear them talking. And so remember, there would have been no cars, buses, planes, anything like that. And if the people got still, what they were hearing were the words of Jesus coming from the boat. And Jesus spoke to them in parables. And so he said, for instance, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, the seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root and they withered away. Some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And so Jesus just told that parable, and he left it like that. And so his disciples came to him and said to him, why do you speak in parabole? Why do you speak in these, what would be to them a riddle? And Jesus gave the purpose of a parable right here in verses 11 and following. So let's see what is the purpose of Jesus speaking in parables. He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysterion, the mysteries, things that were hidden in the heart of God but are now made plain. That's what a mysterion is. The word mystery is not an English word. Again, it's a Greek word transliterated just like parabole into parable. And it's a letter for letter. And he said, it has been given to you to know these mysterions, things that had been hidden but now made plain, uh, concerning the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given, that is, those who listened who didn't have a heart toward God, those who were not God followers. For whoever has to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even that which he has will be taken away from him. Now this is a general principle in life. The fact is, if you seek after God, more will be given to you. If you reject what God has, then that which you already possess will be taken away from you and given to those who will use it wisely. That is knowledge, 
money, whatever the commodity or substance is. This is just a principle of life. To the one who's faithful in little, he'll be faithful in much. To the one who has, more will be given. Why? Because they're using it in a way that glorifies God. This is what he's saying. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. And uh, this is where Isaiah said, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and lest they should understand with their hearts, so that I should heal them. Does that mean God's being cold and callous? No. It means that if people don't want to hear, there's a time when God says, okay, you don't want to hear, then I won't speak to you anymore. And when I do speak to you, I'm going to speak in a way that you cannot understand. And that's the purpose of these parables. In other words, it has twofold purpose. For those who know the Word of God and seeking after God, then it is a way of explaining and illustrating truth. And it makes it live. It's like putting something from black and white into color. That's why the parables mean so much to children of God, because it tells a story in a way that makes the gospel live in real life characters or in fictional characters. That is an earthly story with a heavenly spiritual meaning. But to those that do not know God and don't want to know God and don't want to hear spiritual truth and they spurn and and reject everything that God says to them, then they're not going to understand anything. And he says, but blessed are your eyes for they see. In other words, those who he's talking to, the disciples who were God seekers, who were followers of Jesus, and your ears for they hear. Blessed are your eyes for they see, they grasp it, they see it, they hear it, they grasp it. For amen, assuredly, I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. And so Jesus put everything in perspective. They were walking with the Son of God. Now this is amazing. You see, many of God's people who are sitting under godly teachers and preachers and they're in great churches... You know what we begin to do when we're around people like that and we are in great churches? We begin to take it for granted. You see, what Jesus is saying is this. The great prophets like Isaiah and others, they would have loved to have been sitting where you're sitting. They would have loved to have heard from my mouth what you're hearing. They would have loved to have seen what you're seeing right now, the miracles and and all that they prophesied about it, but they never saw it. You see, Isaiah is the one that said when the Messiah comes, the demons will be cast out, the lame will walk, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the mute will speak. But he never saw that because he didn't live in the days of the Messiah. And so he's saying, blessed are your eyes, blessed are your ears, because many of the prophets and righteous men who lived, Elijah, Elisha, all of those, they would have loved to have been in your shoes. And then he goes on and explains to them, This parable that he told in the opening verses, and he said, therefore, the parable of the sower. Now, the parable of the sower started in verse three and went down through verse nine. And so it's just a parable. 
And without an explanation, it's hard to understand what it is. So any good teacher that gives a parable, he's going to go ahead and tell them what it meant. Why? Because he's helping them to understand. So this was a parable about a sower who was sowing seed, just scattering it everywhere. And he talked about four different kinds of soils. Mark picks this up in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. And so he says, uh, you know, some just went by the wayside and it it didn't even take root because the birds came and stole it away. Uh, some fell on stony places and that uh, he goes on to explain that stony is not a bunch of rocks out there then these stones are among it but he says it's stony in other words it has a layer just a layer underneath this stone and the layer is just a thin layer of soil you say well how do you know that pastor tony it says because some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. So they sprang up, but then as soon as the sun came, because there was a stone surface underneath, they didn't have enough ground to really take root, and so they were scorched immediately. And so he goes on now when we come to verse 18, after he's talked about these various kinds of soil, he explains what he means. Therefore, the parable of the sower, when someone hears the word of the kingdom, ah, so that is what the seed was. It was the story of the kingdom of God. And do not understand it, the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Ah, that's what that meant. This was he who received the seed by the wayside. Jesus explains the parable. He does this all the way through the Bible. All the way through the Gospels. He does it with a mustard seed. He does it with the parable of the leaven. He does it with the parable of the tares, uh, the parable of the hidden treasure. All of these, they have explanations. To go on with the uh, seed, verse 20, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is the one who receives the word and immediately receives it with joy. We've seen this, you and I, over and over again. You see people that, man, they come, you invite them to church or you invite them to Jesus. You're friends with them. They hear the word and, quote, they get saved, end quote, immediately. They're joyous. They're jumping up and down. They're so happy. They're ready to follow God. And then immediately, because there is no root, They only endure for a while, and the first time someone laughs at them or the first time that pressure comes or persecution arises because of the word, they immediately stumble and turn back. Well, no fruit with that. Now, the one who received the seed among the thorns is the one who hears it, and they receive it, and the cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, and they become unfruitful. In other words, there's no fruit there either. And so then he says, but the one who received the seed on good grounds, the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. So he explained this. Do you realize in this parable of the sower that three out of the four things that happens when we sow the seed of the gospel and the word of God, three out of the four things that can happen to the seed are bad? Only one out of the four produced fruit. That means only one out of the four truly got it. That means about 25% of those who actually receive the word in some fashion or another, it's not going to last. Well, that could be a discouragement if you look at the glass half full. But think about it. These are the uh, statistics. Uh, If one out of every four people that receive the word 
if they truly give their heart and life to Christ and they are are truly born again and they follow on into fruitfulness, wow, that's good. Now think about it. Out of the 500, above 500 saw Jesus alive at one time after his resurrection. I mean, they saw him alive from the dead after they knew that he had died and was put into a grave, into a tomb. They saw him alive. But do you realize out of the over 500 that saw him alive at one time, only 120 ended up in the upper room on the day of Pentecost? That's about one-fifth. That's about 20%. And these are people who claim to be followers of Jesus who saw him alive after his resurrection. In other words, even within the church of Jesus, there's only about 20% that really get it. And so people say, well, you know, there's the 80-20 rule. Well, where'd that come from? Well, it's just a fact of life. If we think that everybody that makes a profession of faith or everyone that's baptized is going to follow through, then we're going to be setting ourselves up for disappointment. What we have to understand is that you and I are responsible to share the message of the Word of God, the truth of God. It's God's business to bring forth eternal salvation. You and I can't save anybody. We can't keep anybody saved. We can't talk anybody into it. If we can talk people into salvation, don't you think that the devil with his deception couldn't talk them out of it? The reality is God is the one that does the work in the heart. And the sooner we realize that, the better off we'll be. Because you see, you never fail in witnessing if you share the truth of God's Word and the power of the Spirit. You just leave the results to God, and there's great peace with that. You see, it's not up to you to change the heart. God's the heart changer. But it is up to us to sow the seed. We're on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.